Thanks, Marianne. Well, good day. I'm Jono. It's nice to meet you for having me years. And um, <clears throat> I want to uh, add my welcome to Formos. Uh, and like Geordie said at the start, actually, this might be your 600th time at church here with us, or it could be your first time. Uh, but if it, you are new with us particularly, I really do want to say welcome, and I hope you have a good time with us. Uh, we're going to spend some time thinking about that part of the Bible that was just read for us. We'll sing again, we'll hang out, eat dinner together. It's going to be a good time together. Uh, but, but here you are, whether it's 600th time or first time, here you are at church. Here you are at church. Um, now, I don't know if you guys have caught this, but the vibe these days around religion, and particularly Christianity, is that it's not very popular. Religion gets a pretty bad rap these days. I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts and it's kind of everything, comedy, crime stuff, sports, just interesting random stuff you wouldn't know what category to put it in. I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts uh, and when they've got nothing to do with religion, whenever the question of religion comes up, they are almost always not a fan of religion. Anytime the topic comes up, they'll have a dig at religion. The same's true on anything you'd ever stream, any shows you'd watch, any movies, apart from the very special breed of movies which are actually produced by Christians, which are a little bit cringe. Uh, when was the last time you saw a positive depiction, betrayal of a religious person in, in anything, <laughs> on, on, in a movie? Now, put aside the historical biographies, because they can't change the fact that, you know, Christians did good things in the past, but getting rid of historical biographies, when was the last time anyone can think of a positive portrayal of a religious fictional character in a movie? I can't think of one. Have you guys got any? I don't think so. (laughs) No one's saying nice things about religious people. What was that? Angela in the office. See, everyone loves Angela. Exactly. That is absolutely on point, but times it by 100 across any time a religious person turns up. And then there's books. There's books as well. Now, Hazy actually mentioned this just a couple sermons ago, The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, But what I didn't know at the time when he was talking about that book was that that book is actually a high school text for a whole bunch of people that you study at school. And in The Handmaid's Tale, you get this really bad picture of religion, particularly Christianity, actually, is what The Handmaid's Tale is picking up. Religion is seen as this bedrock of oppression and evil, it's the tool of the powerful wielded against the weak and the innocent. It's a horrible picture. And so as you hear all this, as you live in the same world that I live in, I wonder how you feel about religion when you even just hear the word. What kind of feelings pop up for you? I wonder how you feel about Christianity even. Now if you are a Christian here tonight, I wonder as you cruise through life, what kind of doubts might start to bubble up for you as you just encounter this world. Have I really got this right? (laughs) Is religion a good thing? Is one question. Is Christianity, is Jesus really good? I wonder if those doubts are bubbling up for you. And I wonder if you're someone who's checking out the things of Jesus, you've been invited along or you've heard about tonight and you've come along... I wonder what kind of questions you bring with you, with, that you bring into the building tonight. I wonder what scepticism you kind of carry along with you about the question of religion. I wonder what scepticism you carry along about Jesus. Well, tonight's passage that was just read for us, it engages with all of this. 
It answers these questions for us, but in a surprising way, I want to suggest. And so if you're someone tonight who's sceptical about religion, well, actually, you're in the right place tonight. If you've got questions and doubts, again, you're in the right place. Because this part of the Bible that we're going to spend some time looking at together, well, it takes the question of religion and it holds it up against Jesus. And what we're going to see is something huge together. So I'm going to pray and then we'll look at the Bible together. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we don't have all the answers. And many of us come with doubts and questions as we approach your word tonight. But God, we do want to start with the assumption at least that you are God and you are good. And so as we come to the question of religion tonight, Lord, we pray, please open our eyes. Help us to see beyond religion to the person Jesus. Please open our hearts and our minds to know him, who he is and what he's done. Please, Lord, would you reveal the truth to us? Would you be transforming lives tonight, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, <clears throat> here's the somewhat shocking thing that I want us to see in this passage tonight, straight off, straight off the bat. Religion is oppressive. That is particularly rule-keeping religion is oppressive. Now, I want you to notice I've actually defined religion, broadly there, a bit more narrowly. I don't mean just believing things, belief systems are oppressive. I'm defining religion as rule-keeping. And I actually want to suggest when you get to the heart of what religion is, that's it. (laughs) It's rule-keeping. And so when you boil it down, every religion, in one fashion or another is actually about keeping a set of rules, grabbing a set of commandments and obeying it to get somewhere good. That's what religion is at its heart. I got a mate who recently bought a caravan and he got it for heaps less, he paid heaps less for it than what it was worth and I asked him, how come you got a caravan so cheap? And he said, the people selling it, they were some friendly hippies uh, and they figured they'd get good karma if they sold their caravan really cheaply to him and so he got a bargain, true story. Do good stuff, live a certain way, and it'll bring good into your life. Karma, heaven and hell, take your pick. All of it, it's all the same basic idea. It's true for Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, even every world religion. Judaism, which is actually the religion we're looking at in this part of the passage tonight, touches on Judaism. Here's what it says. Religion says, keep these rules and you will get this result. Rule-keeping religion. But here's the claim that I want to throw at us tonight that ends up oppressive. It ends up going bad. It never takes you where you want it to go. So let's have a look at the passage together and think about that uh, together. And what you'll see in this part of the Bible here is this contrast that's running through these verses between Jesus and rule-keeping religion. That's the contrast we're going to look at. We'll come back to the Jesus bit in a second, but first of all, let's just catch the basic vibe of where rule-keeping religion gets you. Have a look at verse 7 there at the top. This is a long sentence that he doesn't finish for two verses, but anyway, he starts off by saying, now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could look steady and so on, but did you catch what he says? He says, the ministry, the religion that brought death, was engraved in letters of stone. So what's this religion? What's this ministry that he's talking about? Well, a little clue is he mentions that it's engraved in letters on stone. 
He's actually talking about the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament um, commandments from God. The Jewish religion, which actually has its basis in the Christian Old Testament part of the Bible. But what does it do? What, where does this religion take you? Well, verse 7, he said, it brings, it brought death, leads to death. Verse 9, this same rule-keeping religion is described as the ministry that brought condemnation, brings judgment from God. Verse 14, this rule-keeping religion leads to people whose minds are dull, they don't see God for who He is. Verse 15, it leads to dull hearts, veiled as if you can't quite see clearly, not warm to reality, not warm to who God is. Religion, the belief that if you do X, you'll get Y, it's a trap. It's going nowhere. It leads to death, condemnation, closed hearts, dull minds that do not know God. And so, on the one hand... All that bad press about religion, well, they're right. Religion is oppressive. It's a dead end. And worst case scenario, it actually can, when bad people grab it and run with it, it can go pretty bad. Handmaid's Tale, bad. Hypocritical, lifeless, enslaving, oppressive. It goes bad. And so let's at least agree on this together to start with. There is a type of religion, rule-keeping religion as I've defined it, which is bad. The critics are right. Now, they're wrong when they grab Jesus and they go and shove him in the same basket, but in the broader sense, they are right. Religion can be oppressive and enslaving. And so, why does Christianity and Jesus get this bad rep along with religion? Well, it's because people fundamentally get Jesus wrong. They miss what he's about. They chuck Christianity in the same basket and they think that Christianity is just like every other religion out there where if you do enough good things, you'll get to heaven one day. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's what people think Christianity is. It's just wrong. That's not what it is. That is not what Christianity is. That is not what Jesus is about. And so let's take a closer look at Jesus here in this passage. And here's what we see. Here's the second big thing you'll see here. Jesus is far, far better than religion. So in fact, this passage is actually running one long contrast, as I said, between Jesus and rule-keeping religion. That's the contrast that's on view. And contrasts are a helpful thing. They bring clarity. They help us capture the beauty of the thing we're looking at when you see it in contrast to the wrong thing. There's this meme that was kind of going around in the Olympics, at the last Olympics. And again, I don't know why I keep talking about the Olympics with you guys, but it's in every illustration now. So here we are again. Let's talk about the Olympics. There was this meme going around that was basically saying, sometimes you sit down to watch the Olympics and you see like 12 professionals do something amazing, jump over a pole vault or whatever, run the hurdles. And you watch the athletes do it and you're like, that was good, but I can't really tell how good that was because, I don't know, like they all look pretty good to me. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just grab like an average chump like myself and I had to do the Olympic event first on TV and then you got to watch the athletes do it? That would be good, wouldn't it? I'd, I'd pay to see that myself. You know, the hurdles is on and I stumble through every barrier and then they do it and it looks amazing, right? Do a big belly flop into the pool and then the athlete and they do their thing. That would be something worth watching. The contrast would be amazing. That's what Paul's doing here. He's running the contrast between religion and Jesus. 
And so let's look at that contrast under three headings together. And the first one is huge. This is life-changing. Location. Religion versus Jesus. Location. So where does religion take place? The simple answer is religion takes place out there, outside of you. Have a look at the location of religion in verse 7 again. It says, now if the ministry that brought death was engraved in letters on stone, if that came with glory so that it, and so on, did you catch that? It's engraved in letters of stone written out there. This is a specific reference, this passage, to Exodus 34 and Exodus 20 as well, which talks about the tablets of stone that the Ten Commandments of God were written on, engraved into rock. This is the, the famous Ten Commandments from the Bible, written on stone. Now, get this as well, as this passage talks about these commands written in stone, this isn't just some random man-made rules that someone's made up, this is actually God-given rules to his people, his commands for them to live by. But where were they written? On tablets of stone. Now, uh, every rule-keeping religion doesn't necessarily have tablets of stone. Uh, Some religions have scrolls where they write their rules down, others have oral traditions that are passed down. Uh, Mormonism's got its golden plates and Joseph Smith's magic glasses and no one else is allowed to see it but him, but it's there. Uh, But here's the thing they all have in common, the location. It's these rules written out here for you to to obey. A, A code of conduct, a set of rules, if you keep these, you'll be good with God. The other day, uh, my kids were rollerblading through my house and their rollerblades were covered in mud because I'd also been rollerblading in the backyard, as you do. Uh, And I came in and I was like, you're putting mud everywhere. And so I made a rule. I was like, a rule's going to fix this. And I said, no more rollerblading in the house. And they heard my rule and they stopped it for a moment. And then I came back later on and I kid you not, they were still wearing rollerblades, but now they were on their bellies, like swimming along the floor, dragging mud and kicking stuff everywhere still, still making a big mess. But they'd stopped rollerblading in the house. Now, it hadn't solved the problem. That's religion. <laughs> it's located out there with some rules written on stone tablets or whatever else that you obey, but it doesn't change the heart. Jesus is foundationally different. The location is a whole other place. Now, come back into chapter 3, verse 3 with me, which we looked at briefly last week, and spot the difference with Jesus. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 3. He's talking to some Christians, and he's talking about the difference that Jesus makes. He says, "'You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of my ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. See, God is at work here in these Christians. And He's not written just a rule out there on stone, but He's actually done something in them by His Spirit. He's written a law on their hearts. And so this is massive. Do you see the difference that Jesus makes? The fundamental difference between Jesus and religion. Religion exists out there as a set of rules that you obey. It functions as a rule book and day after day, its commands come at you. Don't do this, don't do that, don't touch that, don't think that, don't eat that, don't, 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 do, do, do. But it's not enough. It can't change, it can change behaviours a little bit, but it can't change you in here. But Jesus is different. 
Now this, if you're new to this stuff, conceptually, this is a bit weird, I get it, it might be hard to take in, but the promise of Jesus is that when you come to Him, you don't just come to a moral code to obey, Jesus did teach us how to live, but not just a moral code, when you come to Jesus, what's on offer is actually the Holy Spirit of God, God Himself who comes and lives in you and transforms you from the inside out. So that when you hear the teaching of Jesus, it's not written just out there, but actually rather He writes His commands on your heart as well. He transforms you, He changes your taste buds so that you learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And so the location of religion and Jesus is worlds apart. Whole other ball game. Which is really good news for you if you're someone who's considering whether you should become a Christian. As we said, Jesus does teach us how to live. He told us how we're to live in His world. And it could be though that as you hear Jesus' teachings even, <laughs> perhaps you read the words of Jesus in the Bible yourself as you go and do that or you hear it uh, and you get this sinking feeling, man, this could never be me. I can't do this. I can't live as a Christian should live. I can't change like that. I can't do the things that the Bible says. This could never be me. I can't be a Christian. I can't do it. Well, friends, there's good news. God's promise to you is that in Christ, by His Spirit, you will never be alone in this. He promises to give you His Spirit and transform you and to transform your desires and your heart from the inside out. It's to give, to give a really trite example, it's like setting off in a diet where your superpower is that your taste buds are transformed. And so you, you eat a bowl of peas and to you it tastes like a bowl of M&M's and maybe M&M's taste like peas as well to help. But the point is, there's this, there's this change of taste. You want something different now. Rules will always be inadequate to change you. You need a changed heart. You need the Spirit of God. So number one, the difference between Jesus and religion location. Here's the second contrast, glory. Jesus versus religion, glory. See, as you've seen, uh, Paul here is comparing Jesus with the old covenant, the old commands, the old promises of God. And one of the reasons he does this is that he knows that the people he's talking to know how incredible, actually, the Old Covenant is. The, the law of God, the promises of God in the Old Testament, how huge a person Moses is for them. He's this big person with this huge ministry. It's a glorious part of the Jewish history. And so it's like he leverages this knowledge of what they know to be a good thing to show them that Jesus is so much better. So you have a look at what he says about the comparative glory of Jesus. Pick it up again, we'll read it together properly. Verse 7, it says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, the old, the old covenant, came with glory so that Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit, Jesus, be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? There's a lot of glory in there and a lot of details in there. You might not have caught it all, but here's the big point. The old covenant promises of God, 
that was sort of a really big deal. It was glorious. When, when God spoke to Moses, and these events are recorded for us in Exodus 34, he came down from t- meeting with God with his face shining with the glory of God because it was so amazing that God would come into the world and choose his people Israel to be his and, and that he would come and give his good commands to them is all glorious. It's an amazing blessing. But Paul's saying, here's the thing, it's only temporary. It's only for a little bit. The law, the rule, the rule keeping, it wasn't the end goal. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But here's the point, it had an expiry date. It only lasts for a little while before it's replaced with the point of it all, Jesus, who comes as the fulfilment of the law. That's where it's all headed. Paul's basically saying, you know, Moses and the old covenant, all that stuff that was a really big deal. Well, Jesus makes all of that look like rubbish in comparison. That's his point. In fact, can I share you guys a story? Uh, not a story, a secret. I've got a secret for you guys real quick. I'm now married to my wife, Lyndall, but here's the secret. Dating Lyndall was trash. <laughs> Let me finish. I didn't finish my sentence. Hold on. Dating Lyndall was trash in comparison to being married to Lyndall. Now, dating her was actually fine, by the way, but in comparison to marriage to her, well, it hasn't got anything on that. That's what Paul's doing here when he compares the glory, the contrast in glory. And so what's the difference between Jesus and religion? Well, number one, location. Number two, degrees of glory. And number three, here's the third and most significant thing. What's the outcome? What's the outcome of religion versus Jesus? Here's where Jesus and religion are just, (laughs) they're worlds apart. And you have to get this. You've got to catch the contrast. Pick up the contrast with me in verse 6. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Pick it up a little bit earlier in verse 6. I'm just getting my head into this. I'm actually going to go from verse 7 again. Here it is, verse 7. It says this, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in, uh, in letters on stone, came with glory... Oh gosh, I'm so confused. I'm sorry. Give me a second. Okay, here's what we need to see. Pick it up, verse 7. Where does the ministry of the Old Testament covenant take you? He says it there, it brought death. Skip down to verse 6 as well, back into last week's passage and see it here again. It says, he's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, the Old Testament, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So you see the contrast there? Religion Verse 7 brings death. Verse 6, it kills. But Jesus brings life. Through the Spirit, He brings life. Now, skip down to verse 9. You'll see the contrast continue there. He fills out how religion brings death, how it kills. Verse 9, have a look there. He says, If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So, religion, the Old Testament obeying the rules, brings condemnation, but Jesus brings righteousness. You've got to dig into that. What does it mean? How does rule-keeping religion lead to death? How does it kill? Well, it brings condemnation from God. Now, why is that? Why is it that the rules that God gave His people to live by 
this passage is actually saying is the thing that brought condemnation. How does that work? Is this just like a giant stitch up from God? Why would God give this law to obey, these good commands from Him, but the result is death killed condemnation? And remember, we've just seen that the Old Testament was glorious. It's a good gift from God. It's it's meant to be a good thing. So how does it work? Well, the problem isn't with the rules themselves. The problem isn't with God's commands, God's law. His commands are glorious and good. He wants good for His people. They teach them how to live in His world. The problem is that we don't keep them. The problem is that we don't keep them. And again and again, we choose not to. And so our sin is brought to the surface through the law, through the rule-keeping religion. Our sin's made clear there. In fact, come over to Romans chapter 7 and you'll see here, uh, Paul is grappling with this same question of, what's the point of the law? What's the point of the the old covenant, the rule-keeping religion? Why would God give this thing if it seems like it's going nowhere? And pick it up in Romans chapter 7, another letter from Paul, and we'll go from verse 7. Okay, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? So that's our question. Is is this whole rule-keeping thing from God bad, sinful? The answer, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For what I'd... I would not have known what coveting really was, which is a sin, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, uh, sin was dead. Now skip down to verse 10 as well. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did, which, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognised as sin, it used what is good, God's law, to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So he's saying, there's a lot in that, but he's saying there, God's law, God's commands, this religion from God, if you will, it's a good thing. It's a good gift from God. God's not just been a jerk by giving the law to His people, um, but it has a purpose. And its purpose isn't a ladder that you can climb to get to God. Its purpose is to actually show you how sinful you are. It's to show you that you're helpless to get to God on your own, to show you you need a rescuer. You need the Saviour. And so enter Jesus, the one who, back in 2 Corinthians, come back there now, the one who, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, brings righteousness. He makes us right with God. He gifts us righteousness. Not a standard to make yourself righteous by, He brings it as a gift. 2 Corinthians, in fact, flick over to chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians and have a look at this with me. Here's how Jesus brings righteousness. Here's the righteousness on offer. Have a look at verse 19. It says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. How does He restore relationship with the world? By not counting people's sins against them. 
He does not count your sins against you. Because he's like a bad accountant, fudges the numbers. No, look down at verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We get righteousness, we get right with God, a right position with God, because Jesus comes and he swaps places with us. It's as if Jesus actually trades religious track records with us. See, Jesus is the one person, in fact, who did keep every rule, who fulfilled the law in its fullness. He did everything that God's commands ever asked and Jesus comes along and and chapter 5, 21 says that he trades places with us. He gives us his perfect record of obedience and in our place he actually goes to the cross and dies under the judgment of God for us. Though he was innocent, He gets treated as the guilty one and although we are not righteous, we are not obedient and perfect, we get treated as though innocent, forgiven by God, the great swap. That's the difference that Jesus makes and so the huge world-altering difference between Jesus and every other religion is this, righteousness given as a gift, freely. Rule-keeping religion will never save you you'll always fall short, you will never cut it. And this isn't just religions out there, <laughs> this could be you today in a Christian church as well, this could, you could be in this place of rule-keeping religion right here in this building tonight. I grew up in a Christian family in a church that taught me about Jesus but the path that I kept choosing for myself in my heart was rule-keeping I'd heard that Jesus died for my sins, I knew that phrase as a thing, but functionally, if you asked me, do you think you're going to heaven, I wouldn't have known and it was because I was always wondering, well, am I good enough to get there? That was always the thing on my heart. And so week by week, I used to ride the roller coaster of my own religious performance. Growing up in a church, I knew enough about God to be worried when I'd done the wrong thing, but I didn't know enough to know that I needed Jesus to save me. And so each week, week in, week out, I'd come to church and I was at the mercy of my own efforts. And some weeks I'd turn up and I'd feel pretty good about myself and I'm like, yeah, good work, you you did a good job this week, God's going to love you this week. But most weeks it was guilt. Because if I stopped and reflected, deep down... I knew the shame of the things I'd done that week. I looked pretty good on the outside, but in private, my heart was not with God. And I wouldn't just accidentally do some naughty things, I'd actually willfully turn away from God and sin against Him, shut out my God one day and then turn up at church on a Sunday. Rule-keeping religion was a death trap. And finally, one day, somehow, by the grace of God, the message of Jesus broke in and and the good news of Jesus broke through. My position before God does not depend on my efforts. I don't have to ride that roller coaster every week on my performance. It's not what I do. It's what Jesus has done. It's by grace, free and wonderful grace. Now, that's my story, but what about you? Where are you at with this stuff? You're still riding the roller coaster of your own performance, rule-keeping religion. 
friends, when you get this, when you catch what Jesus is on about, it needs to do at least two things for us. Number one, it needs to, it needs to drive us to see the absolute inadequacy of rule-keeping religion. There's an eternal gulf between what Jesus offers and what keeping the rules and doing the right thing offers. It's utterly inadequate to save you. You've got to catch that. You can't do it on your own. But number two, it needs, you to, it needs to drive us to dependence on Jesus. Trust in Him alone, the one who can save you. And so if you are a Christian, never move from that place. Never move from the place of depending, trusting in Jesus for your salvation. Because you're lost, except for Jesus who saves you. And if you're not a Christian yet, guys, this is what it's all about. It's the point of Jesus. It's moving from that place of trusting in yourself. Becoming a Christian means to move from there, trust me, to now I'm actually trusting Jesus, who died to save me. He's done it all. Not 99% Jesus, 1% me, 0% me, 100% Jesus. He's done it all. And so if that's you, if you need to move to that place of trusting in Jesus because you've been trying to keep the rules instead, can I say, repent. Yeah, repent of your sin, but actually repent of your self-trust and instead move to trust Jesus from now on. Would you consider doing that even tonight? Putting your trust in Him. Now, I've actually got the band, they've got an item that they've prepared for us that we're going to listen to to reflect on these things. So these guys are going to come up and get ready to play that song for us. And so we're going to hear this item, reflect together on these things, and then I'm going to jump up and finish up and pray in a bit. Uh, But this moment now, this song, as these guys get ready and play it for us, is a chance to reflect on Jesus who He is, what He's done, His glory, but it's also a chance to, to reflect on yourself. And so you can take some time now to think about where are you at with Jesus? Actually stop and don't just go, there are some facts about Jesus, that's nice, but actually, where are you at with the person Jesus? Have you put your trust in Him? Is a question we've all got to ask. Now this song, as these guys get into it, uh, it, it follows the journey, um, there's a whole bunch of metaphors in there, but it follows the journey of a person who's weighed down by a book of rules and ultimately comes to the one who lifts the rules off their back and finds freedom and forgiveness in Jesus. So we're going to enjoy this together when you guys are ready. <laughs> 